welcome to episode three of our Cookie Pocket, an attempt at a podcast podcast. Today, Ooh. we will be reviewing Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery um, from 1997, directed by Jay Roach and written by Mike Myers. Um, it is a comedic spoof of James Bond films and similar spy movies from the 1960s and follows a psychedelic 60s English spy brought out of cryogenic preservation in 1997 to fight and defeat his arch nemesis, Dr. Evil, with the assistance of his sidekick and love interest, Vanessa Kensington. Mm-hmm. The film stars Mike Myers as both Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, Elizabeth Hurley as Vanessa, Michael York as Basil Exposition, Robert Wagner as number two, <laughs> Seth Green as Scott Evil, and Carrie Fisher as Therapist. Yes! Oh, yeah. Best starring role. <laughs> um, so I'll play off of Zach's outline from the last episode, pretty much in the beginning. Um, okay. What were your guys' overall impression um, of this movie? So either of you can go first. Do you want to start, Christian? Sure, sure. I'll go first. Um, my in my uh, Twitter review on uh, Twitter at Image Wandering, if you're interested in following me, um, I, I gave I gave it a two point five out of five, and um, that's my critical ranking. And personally, I I would say I I enjoyed it probably more than two point five out of five. I had a great deal of fun watching it. Um, and uh, for me, from a critical perspective, it felt to me like parts of it didn't age well, at least at the time that I wrote the review. And the more that I've thought about it, I think that Austin Powers probably isn't such an awful character in that, like Mitchell said, it's kind of meant to spoof the, the, the Bond type stuff where, where they're just the most debonair Adonis protagonist character. And the fact that it's just Mike Myers with... Uh, an absurd amount of, of body hair is is in in some ways for lack of a better term enjoyable to watch <laughs> so um yeah mike myers is is great and i said as far as sleazy comedies go it's satisfactory and to some extent it de- the genre defies criticism so i had fun all right i would say that i found this film consistently funny but sort of exhausting and I have this issue with other Mike Myers comedies as well, but there's pretty much every single scene is just joke after joke after joke, and there's constant wordplay and constant sight gags, and the movie never really stops to breathe and doesn't really have any kind of a straight element to sort of help the viewer through the jokes. So at a certain point, although it's still funny, I find myself sort of going, oh gosh, can we stop? I'm sick of laughing. Um, and, and it's sort of... <laughs> <laughs> it sort of wore me down and exhausted me in, in that manner. Um, it kind of felt like a bunch of consistently funny SNL gags strung together into into a movie. Like, I feel like you could take every scene from this movie and put it on an episode of SNL and it wouldn't be out of place whatsoever. Um, and I feel like it would be entertaining if it was like a storyline that stretched out across multiple episodes of SNL a scene per episode or something like that but watching it all together sort of sort of exhausted me like like I mentioned previously okay yeah no I I can definitely see that um I feel as though there were some scenes that were uh they, they weren't really breathing scenes necessarily like even like when they were uh any time that like uh Austin and Vanessa are together 
um, and they're not like making a skit. I feel like those are the only moments where it's really like there's not a time where it's supposed to be exclusively funny or they're just shoving it in the mm-hmm. viewer's face the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, like the bedroom scene. Uh, well, yeah. the bedroom scene. There's like three. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be more descriptive because uh, they, they change locations. About. Yeah, it's the, the one, one that the Christian. Nutshell? Uh, I'm not. Sure. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't. I yeah. don't remember. But yeah, um, <laughs> the anytime I feel as though there's actually a consistent theme, which I've never really noticed before until I started viewing this critically, was the theme of generational gaps. So you kind of have Scott, mm. who's like the '90s gen zier <laughs> who's like just sick of everything all the time and i i personally like seth green as an actor yeah mm-hmm. um but that you know the father-son relationship is actually kind of realistic which is partially why there is some genuine humor to be found there that isn't you know just artificial um mm-hmm. and then the same thing between vanessa and austin um is also kind of you know you know that's a constant reoccurring thing that austin has a problem with the way the 90s are and Vanessa has a problem with the way that Austin is, um, which is actually kind of an interesting perspective to see from 2020, because Vanessa kind of you know, exemplifies what like the average, not well. I wouldn't say. Let me make, be careful with my words, but yes, uh, she, she for for the 90s, she's definitely she shows feminist tendencies that are especially feminist when you look at the 60s, um, hmm. and I feel as though that she's a moral guide kind of for the audience even for the even for 2020 mm-hmm. i feel like she's a very good you know moral guide to follow even though she kind of kind of gets wooed by austin once in a while which is kind of <laughs> i mean it adds to the charm of austin powers character because otherwise the whole his whole shtick wouldn't really work um yeah. so i mean that there's good and bad there mm-hmm. um but in, in terms I, I overall i really like I, I really did like this movie um I've watched, I believe, almost all of the Bond films, if not all of them. I mean, wow. There might be one or two that slipped through there. Um, but all of the references from older ones I got, like even even a lot of Fachina. She's oh, yes. supposed to be F- uh, Fiona Volpe from Thunderball. Um, and then Odd Job is probably the most obvious one. Oh, yeah. Random Task. Yes. Um, Blofeld, obviously, from mm-hmm. You Only Live Twice. And I think The Spinning Bed, I think that's from the original Casino Royale. Oh, the, but, the TV um, version? Yeah, maybe. Or the yeah. or the comedy one, or yeah, there's a couple yeah, of different I know, versions which, of that. Whichever one, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> one lost lost in the wind. Um, yes. But yeah, no, I, uh, you know, for being a James Bond fan, I think it helps a little bit, but I feel as though Mike Myers pretty much, this is his movie, really, kind of yeah. like Wayne's World. Um, this is really, he really takes this movie and runs with it. Um, without him, most of this movie wouldn't be funny at all. Um, but I would say a lot of the humor is not necessarily like really complicated or it's, it's really blatant, but in a good way and how blunt everything is, is there's some parts that are more entertaining to see now and other ones that kind of just die off, yes. uh, over time. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and a lot of the nineties references also, we wouldn't really understand either. Um, there is one thing that was interesting about that. Uh, Princess Diana, when they mentioned the affair, oh. the Prince Charles affair. Yeah. Apparently they cut that out um, in the UK version as until this year um, when Sony premiered um, classic, one of the cl- their classic movies. And they j- just this year they added it back in. And the reason why wow. is because Princess Diana actually died in 1997. So. Oh, I didn't know it was that, that late. I thought it was yeah. before that. 
Yep. So I thought that was interesting. But mm-hmm. um, is there anything particular? Are there any like favorite scenes you guys have, or ones that really stuck out that kind of made you think twice about the humor, or um, is well, everything kind of just like a flat line? I wouldn't say this isn't necessarily a a good scene that stood out to me. But I was doing some research afterward, and I read that Mike Myers has said that like something like 40 to 60% of the movie was probably improvised. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple scenes where I think you can really tell, um, particularly the scene where he he punches uh, Basil Exposition's mother. Yeah. Um, that feels like a scene that somebody <laughs> improvised and then yeah. wasn't willing to let go of in the edit. Because I feel like there's a couple scenes like this throughout the movie where the joke doesn't really make any sense. Like, for me, I mean, it's very difficult to criticize Uh, comedy because comedy is very uh, subjective. I mean, all I can really say is I didn't find it funny and somebody else can say, well, I did. And then the conversation's pretty much over. Um, (laughs) But for that, for me at least, I think that for something to be funny, for a punchline to actually pack that punch... The setup needs to make sense and be something that you could actually see happening so that when that punchline comes, whoa, that was unexpected. It took me off guard. And in that scene, all I could think is, why is Basil Exposition's mother in the spy headquarters? Like, it it, it feels like (laughs) I want to punch a woman because I think she's a man is the joke. (laughs) And then they, that was they worked, funny. And then they worked backwards <laughs> to find the setup, but they already have, and then the setup doesn't really make sense with the situation right. that they're in. Uh, the other things like um, the gag of uh, Scott says, um, I think my dad wants to kill me. And then Carrie Fisher's therapist character says, oh, I'm sure he's not trying to kill you. And he says, oh, well, I actually am. And then never, like, that never really comes to anything later in the movie. I mean, there's the scene with the button where he almost fries him alive, but then immediately after that he seems concerned over him. So there's Mm -hmm. there's jokes like that that I feel like maybe came up in improv and people thought they were funny, but when you look at them a little closer, they don't make much sense. Uh, Those were Mm -hmm. kind of the scenes that stood out to me, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have a specific scene i'm i just i just have difficulty remembering every gag Mm. but um i generally found it very funny and i think personally i understand zach's point of it being comedically exhausting but the this the scenes the few and far between scenes in which it wasn't comedically exhausting like the sincere moment on the bed where austin is talking about how uh letting mrs kensington slip through his fingers was the biggest mistake he'd ever made like that to me that felt like completely out of left field yeah. and i almost prefer the the barrage of of absurdity and and slapstick to uh to to shoehorn sincere moments for for the sake of the plot but um uh, outside of that i i some some of my favorite things were were the more mundane jokes like the fact that Basil Exposition's name is Basil Exposition yeah. like that to me that's perhaps the funniest thing in in the entire film mm-hmm. so. I thought there was a real missed opportunity in it's actually the same scene where uh, Austin punches Basil Exposition's mother but um he says before that he says I have two great fears and one of them is nuclear war and I thought if they leave it there, that will be hilarious. And then they just don't ask about the second great fear, and then it just kind of hangs in the air. And then they go on this weird, like, diatribe about 
carnies and people with small hands. <laughs> and I thought, wait, no, you had like a great deadpan joke. And then you like improved it to death. Um, but I thought, yeah, I did think some of the bits where it was just kind of a little, little bit of deadpan humor that never really was acknowledged. I found that kind of the funniest stuff in the mm-hmm. movie. I have a confession, actually, real quick. <laughs> about about 37 minutes into the movie, I was like, oh, I really like this Dr. Evil character. I might like him even more than Austin Powers. I wonder who plays him. <laughs> right. I swear, I had no idea that Mike Myers played both Austin Powers and Dr. Evil until like 37 minutes into the film, and I was on IMDb. And I figured it out by looking it up. Right. <laughs> I, I truly had no clue. That so, really speaks to his, his acting. Uh, yeah, I guess that's more friends. credit to him. <laughs> yeah um and that also probably comes from his snl experience too mm-hmm, yeah um i don't know what else i have to say <laughs> oh. burt Bacharach, i like that i like the date scene yeah <laughs> i i i found i thought the burt Bacharach in, inclusion was weird but that's kind of the sort of weird running gag i like in this in this kind of movie um i I was also really impressed by the character of Dr. Evil, and I think he he's sort of one of the funniest things in the movie. And I read that originally Mike Myers wanted to cast Jim Carrey in that role mm-hmm. and only cast himself because Jim didn't want to get involved or had conflicts. Yeah, and with a liar, liar. Yeah, I think it's great that Jim Carrey wasn't able to get involved because I don't think 90s Jim Carrey would have brought anywhere near the... <laughs> the same kind of humor to this character that Mike Myers does. Because I think the funniest thing about Dr. Evil is that he's just such a normal, mundane guy. Um, that, that's kind of where the humor comes from, is that he's just a, a guy. And he's always behaving in such in such a mundane way with his employees. And like, well, what do I pay you for? And things like that. And I think Jim Carrey would have seriously overplayed that. So I'm, I'm kind of glad he didn't get involved with the right. movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, the uh, the sound intrusion. Uh, there's quite a few people on my street honking their <laughs> horns. I think wishing uh, their friend a, a happy fiftieth birthday <laughs> remotely. So I'm gonna mute my mic for a second here. Right. I will say um, the most difficult part of this movie for me to kind of get around is to separate the comedy from the excessive goofiness. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think it's a part of its charm, but the charm doesn't really age well. And I, I keep repeating that, but that's really, I mean, I think that's probably the one thing that really holds us back, especially for today's standards. Um, but I, if I had to describe this in any one way, I would say it's uncomfortable comedy. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I feel as though there's both uncomfortable, there's uncomfortable humor where it's it's funny and you don't like that you think that it's funny, but it also makes you human to think yeah. that it's funny because other people agree with you. And Good then there's point. other parts where it's just straight up, like, disgusting or just, like, toilet jokes or something like that. And, like, that bathroom scene with the cowboy is kind of oh. just, you know, out of left field. Um, yeah. But, I mean, uh, anytime Austin and or Dr. Evil are on the screen or both, um, you're really, when, when you look for, when you're trying to look for what's actually funny, I mean, that's, they're, they're going to be the ones that deliver it every single time. So, mm-hmm. um, once again, this is Mike Myers's you know, one of his crown jewels and i think he's actually said that before mm-hmm. um uh but yeah he he actually developed austin powers based on his family's reaction to him uh trying a british accent and being flirty with his girlfriend at the time or actually his wife um and his dad's interest in comedy actors um 
like Peter Sellers and Alec Guinness actually. Yeah. So um, mm. that that's definitely interesting. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I was when I when this movie ended, I didn't really feel like it it ended ended like it, it felt it felt kind of short. But like like Zach was saying, it felt like SNL skits strung together in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So um, there wasn't you don't you didn't totally feel like a progression. But I do like the dichotomy between Doctor Evil and Austin Powers, even though it's really simplistic and it's not too difficult to decipher. But if you have Doctor Evil and his son. Their dynamic is kind of like a sideline to the simplistic plot, and then you have uh, Austin and Vanessa dealing with their own thing. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. having those three general events happening at the same time is very satisfying, I think, in my opinion, um, in terms of organization. Um, but yeah, uh, is there any reason why you guys like what was what was the main reason for giving it a two out of five and a two and a half out of five instead of a three or higher? Well, I, I mean, I've mentioned before that for me, the actual number or numerical rating is largely arbitrary. Uh, I mean, here we go. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I honestly think that the number rating just subconsciously comes from what the color of the poster is and things along those lines. What what matters is kind of the way I, I, I end up describing it. But I do think a big part of why I gave it that rating is that after like the first third I really was kind of, not not sick of it, but sort of worn down. And the, I, fe- I feel like the straight element of this movie that's kind of meant to take you through the jokes is uh, Austin's romance with Vanessa, at least to a certain extent. I think that's meant to sort of be the straight story that helps you through all the goofiness. Right. But I, I really don't like that romance. That romance feels more like watching a woman succumb to Stockholm syndrome than Mm -hmm. watching two people like actually (laughs) fall in love. So that straight element just didn't work for me. So at a certain point, it sort of became just a process of having jokes thrown at me. And I found some of them amusing. A lot of them I didn't find very amusing, but I just Mm -hmm. kind of chuckled every now and then. And then the movie was over. It just didn't really leave much of an impression on me. Yeah, that's those are all fair points. I think for me, I felt similarly about Austin and Vanessa, and to me, their their getting together is is sort of a fundamental contradiction of Austin's character and what makes him so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know we weren't required to watch the second film for this sake, but do you all know what happens at the beginning of the second film? Does she die? She, oh, I remember. She yeah. she attacks Austin, and it turns out she's a fembot, and she was a fembot the entire time. Yeah. And Basil Exposition is just like, oh, well, of course we knew all along she was a fembot. It's just oh. a plot device to restore Austin wow. back to where he was, basically at the beginning of the first film, so that you can get that groovy and the, the whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back from. Are his teeth so. bad again in the second one as well? I was wondering that because he fixes his teeth at the end I'd... of the first one. I'm not sure. There's a lot of time travel mumbo jumbo, so I, th- oh, I think maybe yeah. at, at some point. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think Mitchell's points about the humor being an uncomfortable sort of humor that that makes us human because we we share our enjoyment of it is a really good point. But even with that being said, to some extent, I have a more difficult time enjoying it because of my discomfort. That's right. just a, a personal thing. But yeah. um, and um. Outside of that, you know, it, it was very fun. And my last note is, I think a movie like this, 
can be more fun when watched with friends or a group of people who who you share some sort of uh, comedic interest with and sense of humor and like uh i'm sure we would have had great fun watching this together mm-hmm. uh, were we if we were to have the means to actually see each other during this time yes, so right. i mean <laughs> yeah but <laughs> outside of that um I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the parts that I felt guilty about enjoying. It it was it was fun. <laughs> yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely was fun. Um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any point where I kind of just wanted to turn it off or anything like that. Um, it, it is it really exists in an, it it exists in and of itself to accomplish what it wants to do, and it does that. And mm-hmm. you can either take you can take what you want from it, or just leave it. Um, yeah. yeah. And that that's I think that's its best and worst feature, um, and a lot of a lot of a lot of movies in this genre, particularly um, in this time period, are really reliant on being comedies. They're very self-aware, and they're self-aware to the point where they can rely on that to get away with a lot of plot holes and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. You can kind of just be like, oh, the the movie, they must have known that, the director must have known that that was a plot hole. Or, like, the director's like, it's it, you know, I mean, most of the time, we know that most of the time, they just leave it in there, and they don't bother adjusting it just because they just want to add more fuel to the craziness mm-hmm, <laughs> going yeah. on on screen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can to say Zach's that point. What were you going to say? Sorry, sorry to cut in, but uh, to Zach's point, um, with with the improvisation bits, I I had no idea that that any of it was improvised. But now that you're pointing it out to me, and you cited the specific instance with the therapist and the uh, 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 basketball exposition's mother, yes, <laughs> for some reason I still find that absolutely hilarious. I know it's not clever in any way, no. shape, or form. But anyway, um, I did not know they were improvised at all. But now that you've mentioned it, I can sort of tell that they feel out of place. So I I don't know. Does Do the jokes necessarily need, need to fulfill a, a broader connective purpose to, to merit a, a spot in the film? I, I wouldn't necessarily say so, but I, I feel like... As somebody who's who's done improv, uh, I mean, I feel like we've we've all done improv at least to some extent at some point. But well, not as much as you. Well, yeah. it, um, <laughs> at, at some points in improv, you do at a lot of points actually. You end up with these dead end jokes, which are, are kind of funny in the moment because it's like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> um, but then once you start to think about it, or once you watch them like a second time, or watch them back, because I watched this one two times as well. You sort of start to recognize. Wait a minute, that doesn't make much sense. It, it it's it kind of mm. falls into what my opinion of a comedy, of what a comedy should be, but I feel that if you're gonna make a feature length comedy, then one of your priorities should be the story. And you can put a ton of goofy gags in there. You can put in a ton of jokes, but those jokes should all line up in some way with the story that you're telling and make sense with that story. And I feel like a lot of the jokes in this, it feels sort of first drafty. Like they thought, okay, well, um, this will be a fun thing to put in there because this is kind of like a thing from James Bond. And then they kind of hung it on their, their storyboard. And then they didn't really go back through to flesh out the connections and make sure everything had a definite purpose in the story, if that makes any sense. There are things sure. there that, that feel like, well, this is a, a, a fun James Bond joke, or this is a fun 
uh, 60s sex comedy joke, but they don't feel like they serve the story necessarily, which is, I feel like all gags and scenes in a comedy should in some way serve the story, but that might just be me. Yeah, fair enough. That's one I man's mean, opinion. I, yes. Yeah, I did. I did not watch Austin Powers for the for the intensity of the plot or the intrigue of the story, but to each his own. <laughs> well, well, clearly Zach didn't do that for A New Hope either. So. Oh no! Oh, we'll get there. We, yes. we'll get I opened. There. The, I opened we'll the Pandora's there. box, and now I'm closing it. So. D- yes, close that box. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh boy. Yeah. Um, I think I've mentioned pretty much. All I wanted to mention. Will Ferrell? Will Ferrell? Eh? Yeah. Will Ferrell is fun in this. Um, for the one time, for the two times he's on screen, yeah. That I mean, that's one of the, I think the um, I've just been very badly burned gag, I, I think that's one of the best gags in the movie. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, sure. Because like I mentioned, it has that contrast. It has, you expect this to be like a Bond villain style death, or it, it pretty much is a Bond villain style death. Um, except for the one thing, oh, he doesn't die. There's that one thing adding contrast, and it just keeps building on itself based on right. that contrast. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like the sharks with the freaking lasers. Yes. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's another example. I mean, you... you I, yeah, I, I would say, like I mentioned, all the best gags in the movie, I think, come from that contrast of... Mm-hmm. It, oh, it's a regular Bond style thing, except for this one thing that really shouldn't be there, and kind of throws everything right. off. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, or the UN being in like a circle, and yes. just every, <laughs> being stereotypical. <laughs> just one small room, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with beef eaters and people in like uh, headdresses. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think? Do you think for the night? Well, okay. Do you think for the '90s that it is? Do you, do you think that it stands firm as a comedy for the '90s, as far as you might either of you know? Sure. I mean, it. it yeah, I don't know. I I feel like, like Zach said, critically evaluating a comedy is is a is sort of a, a bottomless pit mm-hmm. to some extent, and I I have enjoyed this more than any uh, soulless. Adam Sandler-led film, so I mean, yeah, I sure. I, I think Ace, it Ace Ventura, um, well, Jumanji. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of tend to avoid. I tend to avoid most films, uh, especially comedies and sort of like teen films from the '90s, because I think, in many ways, '90s comedies have kind of dated very badly nowadays i think a lot of mm-hmm. stuff from the 90s has, has dated very very badly to be honest right. uh, I, I feel like compared to other 90s comedies this this film stacks up relatively well mm-hmm. um it's i think the big reason it might not gel with me necessarily is just that i prefer kind of that more deadpan maybe a little more kind of mean-spirited tone of comedy and if, if there's right. one thing you can say for this film it's that it's it's not mean-spirited at all this is a very goofy fun comedy i can definitely it's sort of i suppose the i think this is kind of the epitome of the film you put on on the on the lazy saturday afternoon you can you can kind of have it (laughs) on in the background while you do other stuff i mean and you can kind of yeah yeah, you can tune in and out to the gags you don't necessarily need to keep up with the story and I, i think it serves that purpose well but it's just not necessarily my thing neither is kind of most of its sort of specific genre i suppose yeah 
well, um, is there any final thoughts you guys have on the film? Is there anything you would like to tell people who have not seen it? Uh, well, should they see yourself. it? Should people see this? Would you recommend? <laughs> would you like to start, Christian? Sure. I mean, um, yeah, as long as you don't don't mind uh, Will Ferrell we- wearing mild brown face and a fez. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, sure. I didn't yeah. even think it's about fun. that to be honest. But <laughs> I didn't even think point. about that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It had to be. It had to be mentioned at the very least. But you know, yeah. At least, at least he's not like. I don't know. It could. It could have been a, a lot worse in oh, terms definitely. of it he, being. He was being Will Ferrell. He was being Will. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much. He doesn't so. do like a voice or anything like that. He's he's pretty much yeah. just Will Ferrell in a fez. Very badly, but. Yeah, to answer your question, sure, I'd re- I'd recommend it to anyone that's that's looking for a comedy that doesn't mind something too sleazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say, um, would I watch it again? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> am I glad that I watched it once? Yeah, twice. Mm, maybe a bit too much. But, but I am glad I watched it once. I found it relatively fun. I would I would put this on the stack with movies like. Uh, I think I'd put this maybe a little bit below movies like The Naked Gun and Airplane. It kind of falls into that right. same kind of lighthearted, goofy, gag-a-minute comedy. It's it's definitely mm-hmm. not for everybody. And if you're looking for, um, you know, a, a comedy that's going to stand up to the test of time and always be funny every single time you watch it, I don't think I'd necessarily recommend this. But I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it, it's amusing and it's got some fun aspects in there that I think are might, might be fun to come back to every now and then. I think yeah. Scott and uh, Basil Exposition are weirdly maybe my favorite things in the movie. <laughs> uh, I, I really <laughs> like Michael fishing. York as uh, Basil Exposition. He knows exactly what kind of movie he's in and he's having a right. ball with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so I'm, I'm glad I watched it once, yeah. Scott and Basil are the two halves of Zach's personality. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to get into this uh, call, he was being a real uh, Basil, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I enjoyed this. This is triggering the same part of my brain that the Nutty Professor and Dumb and Dumber do. Um <laughs> I personally like Dumb and Dumber and The Nutty Professor just because I think it's funnier than this, but maybe because I've seen this so many times. <laughs> um, I do like the sequel better, but oh, really? I'm not going to talk about the sequel too much. But um, hmm. but yeah, I you know I, you really if you liked if and Wayne's World obviously if you liked oh, yeah. if you liked Mike Myers and Wayne's World and you want to see him as an English spy um, being way too aggressively sexual with everything all the time. Um, <laughs> trying to be james bond and that's that's quite literally what this was trying to be what it was advertised to be what Mm -hmm. it was written to be and what it actually was on the screen so yeah um it's exactly you're pretty much coming in exactly knowing what to expect but like Mm -hmm. like christian had said don't don't expect this to be really hyper complicated or anything i mean this is (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah it's it's a comedy so (laughs) it's not it's not anything to be taken too seriously um, yeah. Especially the fembots, please. You know. Oh yes. <laughs> Rest <Yeah>. easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, any any other thoughts or uh, Christian? Do you want to start um, our thing? Or I? Yeah, we should start our yeah. thing. Uh, it's it's time for uh, part two of the rundown. Oh no! Back in front of the firing <laughs> squad. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Yeah. So we're we're just gonna rapid fire hit Zach with as as many topics as we can from this film in the space of sixty seconds. And uh, Mitchell's gonna lead off on this one, and I've got a timer on my phone to make sure we don't exceed our time. All right. Mitchell, are you ready? Yes. Three, right. two, one, go. The term shagadelic. A one out of five. Number two. A uh, three out of five. The shaguar. Two out of five. The sixties. Oh, four out of five. Austin's wardrobe. Oh, three out of five. <laughs> Mike Myers. Four out of five. Oh, behave. Two out oh, of five. Oh, behave. <laughs> Two out of five. Staying on five in blackjack. Oh, four out of five. Mike Myers playing the protagonist and antagonist. Four out of five. Basil Exposition. Three out of five. The 90s. Two out of five. Will Ferrell and Brownface and Defez. You don't have to put it that three out of five. <laughs> the dialogue. Two out of five. Carrie Fisher cameos. Eh, three out of five. The unfreezing process. Three out of five. Fembots. Two out of five. The perfectly applicable PG-13 rating. Third back rack, one second. Uh, two out of five. You okay. out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't rate the last one. Did we overrun? <laughs> we, we, we missed one turn. Oh, but, shoot. You know, th- that's the nature of the rundown. Oh. We, we get in what we can. We'll yeah. never know what that last one was. <laughs> never. And neither will you, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is fun. I like yeah. this. I like this. This is fun. This is fun. I wish I wish I had seen it with you guys. I'm not gonna lie. I wish yeah, I had seen too. it with you guys. Me too. Yeah. Um, I was just pretty much sitting here in my basement at 2 a.m. listening and watching it, um, not laughing at all, <laughs> just taking notes. So, wow. you know, I could have enjoyed it a lot more, but yeah, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Well, well, do we want to segue to Christian introducing our? Uh... Yeah. Um, hello, what are we watching I'm boy. Um, our next episode will be. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, uh, the first standalone film outside of the Skywalker saga that Disney made, uh, directed by Gareth Edwards. And um, it's, critically speaking, uh, I think a fantastic film. Uh, it's one of my personal favorites. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be watching it. And um, that episode will be out after this one on either on a, on a Monday. Yes, we'll be releasing yes. on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, if you're if you're into Star Wars and all that lot, uh, tune into that, and yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, glad to host this time. Um, had a fun Ooh. time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will see you all next time. Okay. Okay.